You ready? Yeah. <laughs> See, wouldn't that be so good? Joe, I'm sorry, nothing. I'm okay. I can't hear you now. <laughs> PowerPoints, power lunches, conference calls, reply to all, endless meetings, constant check-ins, and so much wasted time. Are you sick of the BS? So are we. It's time to take our time back, rework the way we work, and make every call a call to action. This is a podcast for people who want to stop talking and really start connecting. This is After 12. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to After 12, 12 for 12's original podcast series that talks about cool companies, brands, messages, and makers, and what compels us to take notice and to become fans. Today is a very special day. First and foremost, today I'm joined by 12 for 12's original no-host co-host, Joe Wagner. Joe, give a wa uh, Wagner wave. How you guys doing out there? Hi, good to be back. <laughs> and secondly, I am really, really, really thrilled to welcome today's guest, for the past 17 years, she's been a tour de force in the world of reality-based uh, science and travel TV shows. Best known uh, as a host of Discovery's Mythbusters, she has gone on to host and produce shows spanning several networks, such uh, as Head Rush, Thrill Factor, Strange Trips, America Declassified, The White Rabbit Project, Positive Energy, and Crash Test World. And her new book, Crash Test Girl, an unlikely experiment in using the scientific method to answer life's biggest questions, is on shelves now. Internet, please join me in welcoming Carrie Byron after 12. Carrie, welcome. Hello. Hi, guys. Carrie, how are you doing in these strange, myth-busted days of global pandemic? It's been some peaks and valleys. Like at first it kind of felt a little like a staycation. And I think we were all having just, you know, kind of fun with the time off, you know, it's scary of course, but then you kind of hit that lull where you're like, okay, I've had enough of this, but I, I, I've gone back up to positive. I feel like there's an end coming. Well, I know you, like me, you're a germaphobe. I mean, initially was that like, <laughs> you know, burning through supplies of Clorox and hand sanitizer and like masks. I mean, no more than usual. I have always been somebody who carries around the wet wipes and wipes down the airplane seats. And yep. I just, you know, I, I find the world can be pretty disgusting. So I clean it a lot, but uh, mostly I always hated shaking hands it's always been a thing for me that I just do it, but I just like just grabbing somebody's sweaty hand. And this, this has always been a thing on Mythbusters with me and the guys, because they're like, why do you hate this so much? I'm like, because men don't generally wash their hands when they go to the bathroom. So every time I shake a guy's hand, I don't know. My first thought is I'm touching your penis. And I swear to God. So Tori and Grant, they used to get in the porta potties when we'd be out on the set. They'd go, okay. I'm touching my penis. Yeah. Inappropriate. And we don't have HR. So <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, there was a guy and I won't say his name, but I, I worked at this firm in Chicago and he used to go to the bathroom at the urinal and he would never 
wash his hands and we always would would think about like big band music playing afterwards and then like just different scenes of him and like sharing chicken wings you know at TGI Fridays shaking hands signing deals like patting people on the face holding his his wife's face I, 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 yeah. uh, I just, so just have you <laughs> have you always been a master of the the elbow flash knee foot foot on the toilet paper roll the you know yeah absolutely i can get out of a room elbow, elbow, elbow. <laughs> <laughs> but like everybody on go on just wait for somebody to come into the bathroom so you might be stuck there what no <laughs> <laughs> but like everybody on earth uh, your your plans were totally abruptly changed um what were you working on when everything hit so I've got a show called Crash Test World, and it's a travel show. And we were supposed to be going to Cambodia. So um, every shoot I had got completely canned for a while. Um, our, our show is, we go around solving, not solving, looking for uh, people with solutions to big questions. Like uh, we visited Israel to find out how people in a place of great conflict can live in peace. And we went to Berlin to see how the Berlin Wall coming down affected their openness for refugees and their explosion of art, like just things like that. We walk around looking for youth solutions around the world. So travel's out. Everybody's in quarantine. It's, I'm, I'm definitely on hold until we open back up. Do you think, though, I mean, when we do open back up, I mean, the, the nature of the show and what you're trying to do in terms of connecting people to different cultures and, and the way that we communicate, we, we, we relate to each other. Do you think it'll be easier because people have, have now taken a more honest look at themselves as they've spent the last 60 days going, yeah, I don't, I don't need to be an asshole anymore. <laughs> well, I, I generally talk to people that are um, younger and have a lot of optimism. I walk away from every day with a lot of hope because we're talking to people who are change makers. Yeah. So I, I don't imagine it's going to be, hard at all. It was, it was easy to start with because people love to tell you about their great projects. Yeah. So I, I don't think this quarantine is going to do anything more than give me more things to talk about. Yeah. You know, we, we, our questions are everything from food sustainability to how to use technology for good. I can even do that locally if I want. Have you done, I mean, have you done it like via Zoom or Skype or any sort of internet stuff like that? Talking about it, I've done some interviews with people through Zoom, but it's not my favorite medium uh, at the moment, just because I, I feel like that's the only place I live now. <laughs> I think I'll like it again once I'm allowed to go outside more. It's, I mean, it's, it's become kind of its own level of fatigue. I mean, notwithstanding creepy guys and rocking chairs in front of the computers, but I mean, just the nature of like having to turn on your camera, like before conference calls, you just mute or you, you know, you'd mute your audio when you weren't talking, you turn off your camera, but now it's like everybody expects you to. Um, <laughs> and if you don't wear pants, Joe, it's tough. Are you um, wearing pants right now? That's, that's to be said. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> have any of the, uh, the lessons or insights that you, you wrote in your book, have they been helping? I mean, have you have you kind of reflected on like, you know, I, I'm I'm okay. I've prepared for this. Or have you also like, kind of been up and down, just like like everybody else? Kind of is there, is there the the manic depressive response to you know, like this very bizarre time in history? It's it's funny. So like we have all this time, but I still can't get through my bucket list of things I want to do. Um, I I actually 
I'm really good at being at home. I was a latchkey kid. I'm a, a single mom that entertains a 10-year-old girl. So, I mean, we've done really fun, creative things over this period of time. So I, I think I'm going to look back and think of it as a special time. Yeah. When else could I make my daughter go through spy training, which is, that's her next homeschooling project. I'm going to tape laser beams in the hallway. There's going to be some dodging of water balloons. We're setting up a Nerf shooting gallery. And of course, I've taken all of my old Amazon boxes and fashioned them into a target for knife throwing in my garage. And I've some, I don't know why, I, I guess it was because I was knife throwing as a child, but I have a lot of throwing knives and I feel like I need to pass this down to my daughter. You, you were knife throwing when you were a kid? I used to stay on a farm in Medford, Oregon in the summer. Nice. There was nothing to play with and no TV. So we would chuck cow patties as Frisbees. We try to touch the electric fence. We throw knives at hay bales. Very creative. Well, this conference call is brought, <laughs> is brought to you by this, the state of Oregon. Joe, where are you? I'm, uh, I'm in Eugene, Oregon at the moment. And I'm in Oh, Portland. you're both there. Yeah. yeah. And we have, we have piles of cow puggies. <laughs> Did you, can you demonstrate how to touch an electric fence for us? I mean, I've contemplated it, but I don't know. I'm a, do you, do you have just, a method? I'm, like, well, now I just use a stick, but we used to just like try to touch it to shock ourselves. I mean, the very first time one of the little boys that lived on the farm since I had never seen an electric fence said, hey, grab that so that we can all crawl through. And I went... <laughs> typical, typical asshole dick because um, he liked me so uh, yeah. that was my yeah. first lesson in boys. show of an affection how do you i mean like do you do you tell your daughter those lessons like if he's a total jerk to you he, he probably likes you <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i'm gonna let her in on life yeah um, so that's a nice silver lining, though. You get to spend time with your daughter. Uh, you get to hang out and do your bucket list stuff. Like, what kind of bucket list stuff have you been working on? Uh, I mean, so typical. I've perfected my sourdough bread. I baked two loaves this morning. It's a very San Francisco thing, and I think it's spreading out to the rest of the country. Um, so I'm like making a lot of strange sculptures. Um, that's always, it's, it's like doodling for me getting through that Netflix. You've been doing that for a long time, the, the sculptures. How did you, how did you get started there? Um, I've always done weird sculpting and sculptures. And I, I used to make monsters a lot for Halloween and make my haunted house when I was a teenager out in the front gates of my house so that, you know, ghostly women would come down on strings and be up in your face. And, uh, you know, you, people jump through walls. And I think I've just always been into that. And uh, my love for monsters and, and scaring people led me to want to do special effects and monster makeup and possibly model making. And that's what led me into my Mythbusters career. So just for the people at home that don't know this, so you, um, you had, you had graduated from San Francisco state and you, you went on, on a kind of a road trip, right? You went off to Southeast Asia or was that right? Yeah. I went around the world for a year backpacking. Wow. Okay. And then you, how did you find M5? How did you find Jamie's company? How did you know that you wanted to go there? I, it was really just sort of serendipitous. I, I knew I want to do something arty and I couldn't figure out how to apply it to real life because I'm not the starving artist type. I really, really like food. 
So I tried all sorts of things. I went to work for an advertising agency, answering phones, thinking maybe I'd get into the art department. Um, and I was, it was just a little bit of a dead end job. So I, you know, I wasn't even the first floor receptionist. I was like the second floor receptionist when calls oh, yeah. missed the first floor. So I just sat there all day and made little sculptures at my desk. And then one day my friends said, Hey, you should come to this place, M5. They're doing a little sculpture workshop and just check the place out. I walked in and it was amazing. They had a wood shop and an electric shop and a mold room and just like this toxic smell of beauty all around. And I was in love. And I met Jamie, who is the character you expect him to be. Um, he's the guy on the show with the beret and the big mustache and is wearing the same outfit every day since the 70s. And uh, I offered to intern for him for free. So he hired me. And he saw a picture of one of your sculptures, right? Is I brought in the most pathetic portfolio. I made it the night before. It was just like a bunch of my drawings and a sculpture I was working on. And he just went through my book looking at it like he was not impressed. And then he got to one picture and said, well, maybe, maybe we can do something with this. And I was just like, yes, okay. There's some potential. I want to learn from you. Well, have you have you had any inspiration while you're stuck at home for your for your art? Uh, I've sculptures? made some coronaviruses, those little little creatures. I make both cute things and then like scary things and weird things. I think I've got like I'm, like making weird like doll like ladies, and I've always made cute little critters. Like um, this, I made for my daughter. This is a poop monster. You put it in the toilet as if it's crawling out, because <laughs> if you don't flush the toilet fast enough, they come alive and they come looking for their mom. So I saw a picture of the booger monsters that you got you you made for her, so she wouldn't pick her nose. Yeah, life lessons, life lessons through terror. I'm the kind of mom that's like, hey, you're not brushing your teeth. Let me show you what happens. And then I pull up a picture of like meth teeth. Like that's what happens. You <laughs> brush your teeth. <laughs> So you guys, you guys aren't doing any sort of quarantine meth right now. No, no, no. <laughs> candy. Um, candy. Yes. Candy is my, my children's meth of choice too. So we, Joe and I, you candidly, we, we haven't seen you in 30 years, but we know you from the, uh, it's been a long days in, in, in Los Gatos, California. Um, and we were reminiscing the other day. <laughs> do you, can you still, um, do you still know all the, uh, YouTube? songs alphabetically. That was actually my best friend, Brittany. <laughs> oh, you were there for that, weren't you? Okay. Yeah, we were yeah. there. Dennis yeah. of practice, KOME. Yes. That was a radio contest that my best friend and I wrote. Uh, they It was, what would you do for you two tickets? And she and I worked in a yogurt shop and we sat there. We were 15, I think, maybe, yeah, maybe 16. Right. And wrote postcards and wrote um, like probably a hundred and sent them into the radio station. And I think it was just like, we got first and second place for coming in and performing stunts in front of an audience. What was your, what was your stunt? Uh, I had made fencing jacket out of eggs and pantyhose so that while oh, yeah. doing the sword fighting, that <laughs> eggs would explode on my chest. Special effects. Yes. That's where it started. Right. Yes. Dennis Erectus. That was yeah. very strange that high school girls were performing these creepy tasks 
for a creepy men. (laughs) But here was the bonus. We got second and first place. We got to go to concerts in LA and Oakland and Colorado. And they took us there in limos and, you know, we're 16 year old girls at a hotel in LA getting a limo to a concert. That was huge. In the name of love. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so you, you've kind of been a performance artist uh, for a long time. Did you ever think that, you know, your career would have gone this direction? I mean, what did like when you were fantasizing about like, I don't want to be when I grow up. What, what was that? Who was that person? I wanted to make monsters or toys. I, I, this, this is bizarre to me. And I was wildly uncomfortable staring into the dead eye of a camera. And I feel like those early episodes are just painful to watch. I mean, it took years to figure out how to do this. Yeah. It's not easy, especially when you're doing like those monologues to cameras, you know, like introducing something or, you know, even with a teleprompter, it's just, it's strange. It, you you know, it's funny to see to your progression and as the from the first season to the 12th season, like you become more natural. I mean, you, you know, you and and Tori were, became really good friends and Grant became friends. I, I think like there's the energy there and you start to see it. And as a as a, a live TV experience um, that's in edit, you know, like you can cut together all sorts of great stuff. Um, and I think it, it really shows that you guys were having a good time and it, it became more than just a job. Well, at first, you know, we had these cameramen we didn't know. And it was just I felt like I was being judged because a camera would follow me around. And if I, you know, screwed up with something that I was building, they'd be like, oh, let me focus in on that. And it was just nerve wracking. It was, you know, you, this is when you bend the nail is when there's a camera right next to you. Yeah. After a while, when you, you know, the cameramen stayed around for a long time, they became our friends and we have such a skeleton crew. We really just had like a camera, a sound and a second camera person putting up other cameras and then a room with a producer and a couple researchers. It's like, it's barely any people. It's not like a regular television show. So it started to feel like home movies. It didn't really feel like a television show because we were just in our shop in sort of a bad part of town every day, isolated and it became like you forgot about the camera. You didn't really yeah. think about it so much. It becomes crew love, though. I mean, you become like the the making is the fun part. Did you did you have any um, input into the edits too? Were you were you able to see rough cuts and? Yeah, we watched them, and I could be like, uh, but it was more for fact checking than anything mm-hmm. else. Be like, no, 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 that's not actually right. That was three point two because none of the science was faked which is what took the longest to film some of these episodes is because you just be like, oh my God. We'll do it in post. (laughs) Can we just like find out what the answer should be? Because it's taking a really long time. Did you guys get to then kind of ideate on on what experiments, what myths you wanted to break? Yeah, it was kind of like what would be accessible to us. So, you know, we throw up our dream list and then if somebody got access to a 747, we're going to do that myth with the airplane. You know, we, we, we took um, jet engines and flipped a bus. The bus got lift probably about six or eight feet off the ground. That's probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Okay, the taxi was one thing, but that bus, I will never get that image out of my head. I mean, it got into the air. It had hang time. It actually had hang time. Because all of a sudden, Michigan was like, sure, come do that here. So that's... That we we kind of just go along with our dreams and what's accessible at the time. 
Is it, have you seen that, um, that contamination episode you did, like the dinner party has been circulating? It started circulating so people could wash their hands and we'll, we'll cut to it so people can see. Oh, we're gonna have a fun little party here. Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got a little, little bit of a stuffy nose, but this should all be very cool. What was going on was that I had a mechanical runny nose. I had a little tube running down the side of my nose, dripping a fluorescing fluid. The goal was to see how far my nasal secretions might travel if I had a cold and who might get those on them. To give you an idea about how much it spread on me alone, normally my skin would not fluoresce under black light. Are you ready? Oh. <laughs> Leah, let's see those hands, hold them up into the light. Oh yeah. They all bear the telltale signs of contamination. Carrie, however, is a different story. I have to confess, I'm actually a germaphobe, so this was not too hard for me. But I put it, that out there. Is, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> Gary Byron. Yes. Yes. Nice, Famous nice promotion. Yes. Famous Mythbuster. That's hysterical. Did, I mean, do you have a favorite episode or project or thing that you've worked on? Not just in Mythbusters, but any of the, any of the shows? I mean, Mythbusters was so much fun, and there was definitely a period of time where we were realizing how much, like how crazy it was, what we were doing, and we were all such good friends, and it just, it was awesome. And when it ended, I was crushed, and I didn't think I would love anything like that again. And the project I'm working on now, which is Crash Test World, I'm loving again. That's so awesome. I'm very, very excited for that to start. It's, it's funny that you said- some super seasons. How was it? Say, say that again. I'm, I'm really excited for it to get into new seasons because I think it'll only get better just like Mythbusters got better after we started to figure out our voice. Yeah. Well, you're, I'm sure you guys are like in kind of pre-pro mode to kind of get back and think about, okay, when can we get on the road again? Um, would you, so this is funny because I had an opportunity to film at South by Southwest and it was like right before they, they, they canceled it, which was the 13th of March. And I was thinking I was going to do a man on the street segment in, you know, on Sixth Street in Austin. And I'm a total germaphobe. So I'm thinking of wearing like the mask and the goggles. And I'm so, so happy that I didn't have to do that because it would have bugged me out literally. Um, would, I mean, would you be able to do that? Would, would you go on the road wearing a mask and stuff? Uh, I don't, I think airplanes, I want to be yeah. wearing a mask because those, those seem like a real hotbed for contagion. But, um, you know, I, I can't do interviews with a mask on. Right. And uh, I think we're going to have to get to the point where we all have antibody tests to find out if we've had it and if we can, you know, I, I don't even know. I think there's two strains of it. So I'm really just leaning towards science at the moment and hoping that it moves faster than it normally does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing is I, I do think that coming out of this, the positive aspect is I feel like science is going to save us. I feel like we might start revering those people again and start believing in them when we actually are saved by the people who are trying really hard right now using all of their education. And maybe we'll stop looking up to reality stars and start looking at astronauts as heroes again and scientists and doctors. Joe's had pretty much every disease you can possibly imagine, so I'm just hoping he's going to send me some platelets. <laughs> yeah, I, I wash my hands like 30 times a day. It doesn't seem to help. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny that you say that, though. I mean, there's been such a, um, 
I just uh, an attack on science and technology and, and engineering and and math and all of these these really amazing esteemed um, talents that that you know the the current popular culture doesn't find interesting or I mean the it's, political it's just, system they're ridiculing experts yeah when opinion becomes expertise when punditry becomes you know celebrated truth it's like wow I, I, do you think as a culture um this will be a cathartic time for i mean do you think we will learn from no this? i i don't <laughs> I, I think we're. I think that uh, I, I've been in the entertainment industry for a long time, and and I watched as we went from shows that sh- kind of showed expertise into sh- just watching people that were aspirationally rich for being um, kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're always going to want to watch that so that we can feel better about ourselves as a society. <laughs> so I, I, I'm hoping we learn from our mistakes, but I, I'm, I don't think that we will. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I mean, after 9-11 for a while, we all pulled together. And then in, uh, people were slowly fading back to partisanship. So who knows? Well, I mean, this highly politicized trend of of refuting science in favor of opinion, um, punditry and gut feeling, I, I think shows, you know, where you go out and you talk to people that are making a difference, you talk to the change makers, there needs to be more television like that. There needs to be more content like that, not to be pejorative of like, you know, I don't I hate the word content, but I mean, there just needs to be more conversations about that. Um, you and I were talking the other day about, you know, Anthony Bourdain, who's a personal hero of mine and and not a hero because he was a hero, but because he was just a normal human being trying to connect with other human beings over food. And and it wasn't about food. And I don't know. It's, it's nice that you're doing that. Um, it's also nice that you're empowering kids and girls specifically. And the fact that you wanted to be um, making toys. You kind of ended up making toys. So tell tell us about Smart Girls um, and what it, how it started, how you got involved. Uh, well, <clears throat> Smart Girls, this this uh, amazing woman, Charmy, she created these coding dolls. Uh, they're they're almost like a uh, a scooter that you can program with your phone, and a Barbie sized doll rides the doll, and you can code little adventures for the doll itself. And I was kind of just looking to getting into toys because that was my on my bucket list. And I never actually got to really do it so much because that whole Mythbusters thing got in the way. So I cold called them and asked them if I could just have a coffee. And I started working with them. And I'm like, I would love to help hype you guys up and become a part of this in any way. And so I, I started um, playing with the coding dolls. It's it's The idea is that <clears throat> they've, they've shifted to smart buddies now because... Uh, they wanted to open it up, but uh, originally it was that some girls are not going to be interested in the coding toys that are all in the boys' aisle, and you need to kind of speak to the audience that's already there and get the girls who aren't interested in playing with robots but might want to still play with dolls and still get them into coding. Yeah, the boys' toys are like coding you to like kill or dominate your neighbors. <laughs> 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 Thermo 
thermonuclear war. And these ones are trying to find the, you know, there's a little track that they go around trying to find the best hot dog in New York or save a kitten. It's, it's, it was, it's pretty That's cool. That's cool. Um, how, like, do, you and your daughter are very close. Does she give you ideas for things like, hey, mom, you should do a show about this or, you know, you should talk about this thing or, um, but what's what, like, especially because the two of you are, are so close to your roommates, what kind of, um, creative input and inspiration does she give? I mean, she's, she's 10. She's the perfect audience because she will tell me when I'm full of it or it's stupid or it's just not cool. Mom, go God, mom, don't do that. Stop making that face. That's your fake laugh. Mom, stop. You know, she's just really good at calling me out. She's also the best beta tester because I can show it to her and she'll tell me exactly what she likes about it. She, she'll tell me what she's interested in. And I'm, I'm making Crash Test World for her. She's the only audience I really care about because if she's interested in it and it, if this can make her feel a certain way about the world, then I've done my job. I'm really just, aren't we all just trying to impress our kids? Yeah, although I might it's, it's, to, it's too late. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my 12 year old daughter she like i open the door and say good morning she gives me a, the finger and says get the fuck out of here dad <laughs> <laughs> i love you um yeah i mean i think that's i think at the end of the day you know you want your you want to be honest to your your kids there's if, if you're lying to your own children then you're really doomed um I think at the end of the day, it's like, why are you living if you're alive? I just want to show her the possibilities in the world and show her that people can make a change and that one voice does make a difference. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, there's look at Greta and Malala. Like there, yeah. there are voices that can be heard and she has a voice and she can use it any way she wants. And she can create the world around her that she wants. You know, we, we did an episode that she came on set for, which is a food sustainability episode where we visited Don Baguito, which is a, um, they use insects as a protein source. So you can get these amazing roasted crickets with oh, like wow. chili and lime and put them on your tostada or, you know, chocolate covered crickets. And, you know, I even got her to try one after she watched me just you know, hoovering tons of crickets all afternoon. I bet they're pretty good too, right? They're good. They're like, they used to really freak me out because everybody always made me eat them live on a dare. So actually getting them roasted and, you know, in some delicious cuisine, I'm down. It, it's, they're, they're like little rice puffs. They're spicy oh. little rice puffs. And they're, they're, they're not what you think. So... Crash Test World is actually being produced by Andrew Zimmern's company. Is that right? Yes. So wonderful. He eats a lot. I mean, he, he like he's eaten everything. Yeah, it's generally not a component of uh, my show to eat things. It just it, that just happened to be. <laughs> when you go to Andrew's house, is he like here? Have this crocodile heart. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I heard that he has sort of initiation for his crew on the road because we share the same crew where if there's anything especially just hard to eat, then he will grab the cameraman and be like, so you're about to become part of the family and make them eat some sort of fetal live turtle. <laughs> oh my God. You had to make it fetal. <laughs> those, yeah. those are the ones that freak me out the most. Like the, 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 Fertilized duck eggs and yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, 
Wow. I, yeah, I, I couldn't do a show like that, but I, I definitely respect the fact that a you're, you're doing a show that, that he's involved with and B tell us about like the educational component. Cause I know there's curriculum for, for, for school kids as well. Right. So every show gets broken. The, the half hour length show will be on regular network television, but then every show is broken up into like five minute pods. And um, each pod comes with a lesson plan based on uh, the school curriculum. So uh, depending on whether you're lower, middle or high school, we have all sorts of different curriculum on projectexplorer.org. Um, it's for parents and teachers as a resource. And it's been going for about 17 years I just joined in the last couple of years. So for 17 years, there have been wow. educational pods with this, you know, free lesson plans. And now we're doing it with high production shows like mine, which is Crash Test World. We're going to, um, you know, you could find out about insect eating and have a discussion about food sustainability because 80% of the world eats insects. We're just behind the times. I think that the insect industry is going to look at, say, the sushi industry because, 20 years ago, people were like, sushi, ew, weird, raw fish. They're going to be doing that with bugs at some point because it is a really yeah. high value protein that takes a lot less water to create. I used to eat ants. <laughs> <laughs> like, you you used to eat, eat, I, I used to eat ants. So I'm like way ahead of the curve. Used to. Yeah. It's like in junior high. No, well, elementary school. I don't know. When there was you it? go. High school. I don't know. You're, yeah, you're yeah. a trendsetter. Yeah. The ones in Yosemite, the, the ants in Yosemite are sweet and sour. Ooh. That I remember. Yeah. Oh. You read a mealworm. <laughs> Mealworms are really good. Meal, I have had a mealworm there. I've seen it. I have not. I mean, most of the most of the time it's like texture, you know, like slight taste, but texture. Um, I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I, again, I, I think we don't probably um, have enough um, insects in our, in our food supply chain right now. I think we, we definitely need some. Um, I, I was just, I was going to ask you of, of all the projects that you've, you've done, what was the one that you, you hoped would, would go someplace that you would like, I mean, I know this, this one is a really near and dear to your heart, but was there something that you're like, God, it almost worked. Oh my God, I've made so many pilots that never made it to air because, you know, it's just really yeah. luck and time. But Tori and I really wanted to do this show forever. We've been pitching it forever. It was called Frankenstein. For years, Tori and I have been pushing the limits of science, engineering, and art to test the world's biggest myths. Science and technology are advancing at an incredible rate. It's to the point that science is moving so fast that people will believe just about anything. Genetics research has reached the point where we could create a Jurassic Park. But what if we took that one step further? Where science, special effects, what the and cutting edge technology will be used to create the most outrageous, constant, explosive, and hilarious pranks ever. Oh my God! Science and prank are about to collide. This is Frankenstein. Um, and it's, we put up our uh, our proof of concept of what Frankenstein would be up on YouTube. And basically the whole show is discerning between science and science fiction, because so many people believe science fiction is real 
And at the same time, science fiction has informed so much science. I mean, look at Star Trek. We are now talking on these little phones that look just like they came out of Star Trek. So, I mean, the fact that we can grow ears on mice and that's actually real. What is science and what is science fiction? So we would base pranks around that. And we, you know, we did our, our proof of concept on cryogenics because a lot of people think that you can freeze a head and fix whatever ailments in 30 years have happened to that person and then just reattach it to someone and they're going to come and along. You, ter- you, terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you terrified that poor girl too. She, she thought. Oh, so you watched it. You watched I, it. I did. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a lead up question. I think, thank you for answering that. <laughs> she was not a, an actress. That no. was legit. She really thought that she was on a reality show about cryogenics and we had her believing that she just froze a person. When you do a show like that, do you have to have like paramedics or ER on like, you know, standby, you know, just in case, what if she had like a cardiac arrest? And you're just like, well, that's a joke. I mean, I work with professionals. <laughs> the, the people that were going to produce that show were the producers of Fear Factor and gotcha. of, um, of, of the and candid camera. Like they had been doing it for so many years that they have it down to a science. They're also the same producers that did the, um, uh, oh God, they've done so many prank shows. So like, I, I'm just the host. I, I think that all of the exactly. safety is taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> the the choosing of the right. uh, subjects is. I think it should have got picked up. Well, it was it was great. The pilot's great. Um, and you're you know when you say about science fiction really informing science reality, um, tell us about because I I saw that you were on an episode of the Oroville uncredited. Tell us about that. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. that's science fiction going rad. <laughs> Comic that reality. Was so weird. Yeah. Uh, well. I um, am friends with this guy named Howard Berger, who, who does um, the makeup. He does all the makeup design for Orville and Walking Dead, and he works with oh, wow. uh, you know KMB Studios. And he asked Tori and I if we wanted to come on set one day and just try it. So we put on full prosthetics. Head, I was had a big giant red head, full prosthetic makeup. It was a long day. I don't think I could do that as a profession. People spend, I like just. 12 hours in that makeup with nothing to do but sit there and wait to do one line. Oh my God, that was really hard. Extras were hard. You didn't need cocaine. You were talking about like dialogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that crazy a show. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I, like, have you ever thought about switching over to the, the non kind of hosted episodic and going into the, the acting realm? Is that? Does that interest you? Do you have an indie movie I'd be good for? I, I feel like I'd be really good. That's on my bucket list. I want to be murdered horribly in like some sort of zombie flick. Okay. Like, I know somebody. Ready? Yeah. Are you ready? I know. Yeah. <laughs> see, wouldn't that be so good? Joe, I'm sorry, something. I'm okay. I can't hear you. You now. <laughs> Joe, let's hear yours now. Ears. <laughs> my dog and my daughter just came running downstairs. They're like, are you okay? So she was real. murdered on a podcast after 12. It was so real. So, oh yeah. my gosh. If any, okay. if any like, I'm, I, I'm willing to do this for free. Just call me up. 
All right. Well, if if somebody wanted to to take a look at your book or get a hold of you, how would they do that, Carrie? Well, I'm all over the social medias. You can find me at Carrie Byron on Twitter, the real Carrie Byron on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you could just Google my name. Mostly it'll get pictures of my butt, it seems like, but you can find me pretty easily. Uh, CarrieByron.com as well, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Um, well, it was a total pleasure talking with you and getting your perspectives in this uh, age of quarantine and, and coronavirus. And <laughs> Joe Wagner. And certain, and certain times. Sorry I deafened you. That I really probably should have given you a better warning. <laughs> what? All of, a, all of a sudden, my, my sound meter peaked on, on the computer. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I've been indoors for a really long time. I might be losing my mind. <laughs> well, hope. That seems pretty cathartic, actually. <laughs> we should all probably just take a moment to scream. We should. Out of our lungs. We should. We should have yeah. like a news. Go for it. <laughs> Everybody should stick their heads out the window at noon and just scream. I, I can only do sobbing, depressed, middle-aged guy. I can't really scream. <laughs> okay. we're, we're waiting for. <laughs> we're waiting for Crash Test World to have an episode for 45 year old men who are <laughs> so slightly alcoholic living with children. Carrie, it was such a pleasure seeing you. Um, good luck with everything, and hopefully, we'll, we'll see you on the, 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 the TV soon. And everybody, <laughs> check out projectexplorer.org if they want to see Crash Test World. Boom, Mike hey. Dry. Thanks, everybody. At tw after 12, we, uh, we love you, and thanks for watching. Bye now.